This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to literary tracks our dedicated books and comic show i am one of the hosts here matthew rushing and wait wait, wait no, hey. no 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 hey what, what happened here wait wait. what okay. do you mean you're one of the hosts you're not even supposed to be here you gave a whole speech about how you're not one of the hosts That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i guess i was just on autopilot i'm so sorry guys um I mean, did you did you want to? I I just couldn't remember who talked first. If if I talk first or you talk, I. Uh, I don't uh, know. Bruce, take it away. Uh, okay, take two. Welcome everyone to Literary Treks, Trek FM's dedicated books and comic show. I'm just one of your hosts of two. I'm Bruce Gibson, and the other host is Dan <laughs> Gunther. Dan, say hi, please. <laughs> Hi, Bruce. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Dan. I think we should have a guest on the show today. What a oh, wonderful oh, pick idea! Me, pick me. Maybe, pick me. Pick me. Maybe pick me. Pick me. Pick me. Who should we pick? Pick me. How about that guy over there? Oh yes. <laughs> and sir, I've always what is wanted your name? to be a guest on this show. What is your name, sir? Uh my name. Um, I. Oh. Um. Oh, I, I'm so I'm just I'm nervous now being on the show. Like I've been listening for so long. Um, my name is is Matthew Rushing or or Matt Rushing, whichever one you like. Okay, this is just all crazy and nutty. So, okay, you know <laughs> Matt left the show. He's been doing it forever. He left the show two episodes ago, and but we knew that he couldn't stay away from long for long. So he's he's back as a guest host. He'll be back again often. But, you know, Dan and I are the regulars here, keeping the place clean and tidy and neat and everything. But, you know, we are here to talk about Star Trek books and comics. Unfortunately, even though you think it's weird that Matt's back, we're not talking about books and comics per se on this episode. Because we have Michael and Denise Okuda coming into our lounge here. And we're going to talk about the Blu-ray three-disc set called The Roddenberry Vault. And they were joined. They joined us what, like a few episodes ago, talking about the encyclopedia. They started talking about the, the vault, and they wanted to come back and tell us about it again. So that's what the feature is today, guys. Very, very excited to uh, welcome these two back on the show again, and of course to welcome Matt back on the show. I, I guess you know he got past all the booby traps and and through the locked doors, and uh, well, I guess you know we're happy to have him here now. <clears throat> wow, I I couldn't believe the amount of 
things that I had to go through just to get in. It was it was a little bit crazy. I, I'm I mean, you guys already changed the locks on the doors. Come on. You, you think it would have been enough, but uh, here we are. Yeah, this is the literary Trex vault, enough. and so that's why there's a lock uh, on the door. Oh, <laughs> that's what that is. But, uh, but no, this well, is going to be thanks a great for show. having me in. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited because I mean I've seen the Roddenberry vault now, and it's got all this lost footage from the cutting room floor that no one's ever seen before, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And Dan, I know you've been watching it, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've watched it all the way through. Uh, just finished the last bit today that I hadn't seen yet. And man, if you haven't picked this up yet, you're doing yourself a disservice. You need if you're a Star Trek fan and I'm sure you are because you're listening to us, you need to go out and get this right away because, uh, yeah, wow, amazing stuff. And as you listen to the show, as we talk to Michael and Denise, you'll see that there are some connections to Star Trek books from the vault to those books. So um, take a listen to it. But before we get into that, Matthew, since you're joining us as a guest today, where can people find you online? Well, uh, thanks for, for having me here, guys. Uh, I, I love being back, and uh, it feels like I never left, even though I messed up the beginning. I'm so sorry. It won't happen again, I promise. Uh, I'll, I'll send you all better Christmas presents next year. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Uh, you can also find me here on the network in the Trek FM network doing the orb with Chris Jones. Uh, continue to give your thoughts and your prayers to Chris as we hope and wait for his return as he has been struggling with some health issues. So I, I thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to have the time away. He, he needs it. So uh, we, we do want to be back, but health comes first. Uh, you can also find me on the 602 Club, which is our general geek show here in the network. It's a blast doing that show. It's a lot of fun. We talk everything geeky that's not Star Trek. Uh, and we specifically, we, we talk a lot of Star Wars too. So we have a special Star Wars feed just for that. So you can also find Star Wars, the 602 Club collection. Both of those are on iTunes. So check those out. I do another Star Wars podcast with my good friend John Mills on the Nerd Party Network, and that is Aggressive Negotiations. A blast. Make sure you check that out. I mean, if, if you love Star Wars or you kind of just like Star Wars, we just have a fun time talking about, you know, a little part of Star Wars each and every week. Last but not least, I have a brand new podcast with my good friend Drea Kaufman called Owl Post, a Harry Potter podcast where we're walking through Every single chapter of Harry Potter, it just started, so it's the perfect time. Even if you've never read Harry Potter, join us on the quest. It's going to be a great time. You can find that over on the Nerd Party or, of course, on iTunes. Now, uh, Bruce, um, you know, I mean, we haven't known each other that long, so if I, like, wanted to follow you or find you on the line, I'm just kidding. We've known each other forever. But there may be people who are listening who have never heard of you before. Where can they find you online? Well, they can find me in the exact same place you found me years ago on Twitter. I'm at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can also hear me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast with Riley Blanton and Mark Herleman. And uh, you'll also find me hanging out in the Babel Conference talking Star Trek stuff on Facebook. And Dan, since I've known you since we've been in diapers together... <laughs> which wow, was just, just last awkward. year <laughs> ah. <laughs> we agreed we'd never speak of that again Bruce. well i remember at the time we said it depends oh uh, 
Yeah. Get it, get no. it, get diapers, depends. Dan, where can people find you? Whew, not on this podcast for much longer. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You can find me online on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can also find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Productions. And you can find me on my website where I review Star Trek novels. That's www.treklit.com. And of course, you can find me on the Babel Conference as well. Well, what do you guys say we uh, get talking to the Akutas? Absolutely. Since everybody's fast forward through this part, let's go at it. Let's go in there and do it. <laughs> Punch it. It has been 50 years that we have had Star Trek. And as Star Trek fans, the three of us, we've always, like, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've seen every piece of footage that's out there, every blooper reel. And of course, we've seen all the episodes, but we have come to find out that there are two archaeologists that went into a cave somewhere and found a hidden treasure. And those archaeologists are Michael and Denise Akuda. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Nice to be here. Awesome. Really happy to have you here. Welcome. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to to talk to you guys. Uh, you know, the last time that we had you on the show, uh, we ended the show with talking about this wonderful thing that was going to be coming out called the Roddenberry Vault, and we we got a chance to dive in a little bit with you guys. But for anybody who hasn't listened to that show, I'd love to just kind of hear the beginning. Like, how did this come about for you two? And, and what was the process of putting all of this together to give fans, I think, probably the greatest gift they could have on the 50th anniversary of Star Trek? Well, it was really quite a journey, and it started about nine years ago. Um, we got a call from Rod Roddenberry, who asked us to meet us at uh, a location, and it turned out to be this very nondescript building in a industrial area and um, he said you know will you sign these and they were non-disclosures and that piqued our interest right away and we said okay and he took us in and took us down um, these rows of film cans and Mike and I really were like what is this and then we noticed on the sides of the film cans there were names of original series episodes and it was at that point that both of us looked at each other and we went, oh, my God, is this the Holy Grail? Because we, we had seen stills of pictures of things that didn't make it into the episode. And so we knew that this footage might exist. But, of course, we had asked collectors and so forth, and nobody really knew of its existence. And uh, then Rod took us in another room and he showed us a couple of snippets of things that had been transferred and we just quietly flipped out. It was amazing because like most fans, we knew the show so well, you can practically recite it from memory. And then when suddenly there's just a different moment, a different inflection, a different maybe even an, an additional line, you're going, oh my God, this is a piece of Star Trek we've never seen. And then, of course, started the journey of, you know, how is this stuff transferred? What do we do with this? Um, and it, it eventually, I mean, it, it led to a partnership between CBS and Roddenberry Entertainment, 
and we were hired, the two of us were hired to go through all of the footage and catalog it, painstakingly catalog it. And we had a very detailed spreadsheet and we recorded, um, you know, the ins and outs of the film clips. And um, that took about three years. And then we had to figure out what to do with this stuff. Yeah, as you're cataloging it, are you thinking, why are we doing, you know, what are we going to do with all this information, all this footage? What are we doing with it? Did you have any idea that there was interest in putting it on the Blu-ray? Uh, well, from the very beginning, we all had the hope that there would be a way to bring this to the, uh, to the fans. Because as excited as we were, we knew that other people would be equally excited. But how do you do it? How do you present it in a way that... Um, that that's interesting. That adds value to, uh, to to what they've already what people have already seen. On one hand, there's hundreds and hundreds of cans of film. On the other hand, quite frankly, a lot of the stuff is pretty much almost identical to what you what you saw on the air. So after the first moment of going, oh my God, this is this is a different a different take. You want to make sure that you're making it worth the while of whoever. Uh, whoever watches it, you want to you want to give them something more than just a slightly different take of of exactly the same thing. Well, we always knew that this had to be um, presented with context. I mean, you guys and we and and other Star Trek fans uh, are in the position where if we showed you raw footage, you'd go, okay, you know that line was in, that line wasn't. This is an alternate take. But the world isn't made up like that. We knew that we needed explanation. We knew that we needed context. We need to build. We needed to build a framework where we could present these snippets, and they were snippets. Most of them were, oh, anywhere from a couple seconds to maybe a minute long of material that had never been seen before. And at that point. Um, there was there's a filmmaker. His name is Roger Lay Jr., and uh, he loves Star Trek as well, which is really very wonderful. Um, but he was responsible for the bonus material for um, Star Trek: The Next Generation remastered. And oh, Enterprise. those were great stuff. Yeah, Blu-rays that were released. So, and he's a friend of ours as well. And uh, he's worked with CBS on, on projects. And so he was brought in. And so the three of us worked together to build uh, documentaries in which we interviewed people that had worked on the original series, actors behind the camera. And then we also sought out people at, in, in contemporary uh, production like uh, Bill Prady, who was co-exec creator of Big Bang Theory and a huge Star Trek fan. Well, that's one thing like I notice on these uh, special features on these discs is the uh, the crop of, of people you've gotten to contribute and a lot of the really unique voices that come through. Uh, Bill Prady, like you mentioned, um, and then a lot of the writers who were there from the beginning, like David Gerald, who wrote The Trouble with Tribbles and D.C. Fontana. What was it like kind of... John D.F. Black. Oh, yeah, John D.F. Black, absolutely. Um, what was it like kind of assembling, uh, you know, getting these people together to talk about, like, their actual experiences being on set and kind of putting that context to these clips? Well, 
it was a very exciting process because uh, we knew a lot of these people and some of them we we just approached out of the blue and so the opportunity to be able to sit with them in a room and and talk to them uh, either directly or, or have, having Roger interview them was, was was very exciting because you know we would uh, be, beforehand we would powwow and say well uh, what should we ask this person what should uh, what should we try to get him to talk about uh, and Roger who's a who knows all of the documentaries made and all of the bonus features uh, for Star Trek would say, okay, well, this guy already talked about this in uh, uh, in the uh, uh, season, whatever, or DVD of whatever. Uh, so let's ask them something else. And then, of course, knowing that we're doing this for a fairly knowledgeable uh, uh, audience, people who, uh, who know and love Star Trek, uh, we could get pretty detailed. And, uh, and, and, uh, and then, of course, just talking to these people that every single one of them are people we, we admire and the, uh, even from afar. So to be able to geek out with them was, uh, uh, was just a lot of fun. I'm wondering, you know, like you said before, uh, Denise, this is, it felt like, you know, you found the Holy Grail. If, is there one thing through all of the footage or the interviews that you guys got an opportunity to be a part of that surprised you? You know, I mean, you guys and and so many fans know the series so well. But was there anything that just kind of surprised you and really took you aback that you found out or saw that you just hadn't known or seen before? Oh, so many things. Um, I think one of the things in, in, in total, just looking at the footage, was you feel like you're there. You're a fly in the wall. It takes you back to 1960s television production, you're behind the camera, you're watching the actors, you're there. And because Michael and I have experience in production, we know what that feels like, but of course we weren't on the sets of the original series. So that was extremely uh, fun, gratifying, uh, amazing. Uh, And then I think that anytime you hear dialogue that you've never heard before. That's magical. I mean, there were many times when we would watch the DVDs when they first came in from CBS, and we'd just be casually watching it just to to see what's on the disc, and we would just, you know, come off the couch, or we'd go, oh, my God. Specifically, I I think the, the Peter Kirk scenes from Operation Annihilate absolutely were there. The footage from... Uh, the missing footage that was cut out of City on the Edge of Forever with Edith and and Kirk um, was amazing. And we we were delighted and surprised many times over. And of course, we hope that people that watch the Roddenberry Vault share in that delight as well. I'm a big uh, special effects geek, and uh, I, I love the Enterprise model. So uh, I don't know if you've seen the uh, uh, the various uh, raw blue screen shots we had of the uh, we found of the Enterprise, but to mm-hmm. see that beautiful model and in the, the this first generation photography, the uh, you know all of the finished visual effects, optical effects of the Enterprise in the original series were were made using an, a device called an optical printer, which was state of the art, uh, bleeding edge technology at the time. But it required you to rephotograph each piece of film several times, and each time you do it, it gets softer and softer. 
So to see these uh, these they're, uh, these beautiful prints and to see the detail of the Enterprise, and then to see angles of the Enterprise that uh, for quite a number of shots that were never actually finished. You, you look and and uh, and it made the made the ship more visceral to me. One of the things that I was uh, well, it's a, it's a very minor thing, but it, you know, being a being an effects geek is the Enterprise was actually finished. Uh, it was completely detailed only on the right side. The left side was mostly undetailed and there are wires hanging out of it. So you could only photograph the ship from, uh, from the, on the right side, so, which means the ship is always flying from left to right. Uh, but what they did was they had, they had a plan B. If you ever needed to show it flying the other way, they, would, they had a set of, uh, of mirror image decals that they could, they could paste over the, uh, the lettering on the engine pod so, they, uh, so it wouldn't look wrong. And we knew the decals existed, and and uh, but we were frankly never entirely sure if if, uh, if this was actually done. There was you know there were a couple of shots, but we th we thought well there was very little evidence of it actually having been done. So when we found footage of the model with with that lettering and uh, with that backwards lettering, that, that 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 was really fun. I remember seeing that footage on the disc of the reverse decals. And so that explains that. I, that was one of my favorite parts too, is to see the blue screen and see the Enterprise against it and how the camera would move because the ship is stationary and the camera has to be the thing that moves. It makes it look like the ship is moving. And there's a guy on the floor rotating a wheel too. Yeah, to, to watch those guys turn the crank furiously as, uh, as, a, as a ship, so the ship can rotate as the camera moves it just uh, it's it gives you a sense of uh, of what it was to to work on those shows to to be there when they're making it so but you were saying how the one side was not really complete and there were wires coming out is this the same model that is now in the smithsonian or is the smithsonian something different no that's exactly it's, it's the same model in fact uh, uh denise and i were on an advisory committee for the smithsonian uh for their conservation and restoration efforts and one of the first questions that uh, we all asked everyone on the committee and the uh, at the museum asked was, uh, should they finish the blank side? So should should they make it look like what everybody thought it was? And we argued, uh, and and a lot of people uh, supported. We thought that the blank side should remain blank because that tells you something about how they made television back then. Uh, they 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 were under a tremendous uh, uh, tremendous limitations of, of, of time and money. They they had very little money and they just had to get this stuff done. So anything you can do to streamline the process, uh, they would do. And by not painting or by not detailing that side of the ship, uh, you you save quite a bit of time and and so use quite a bit of money. And that's money that that because you're only planning to shoot the ship from one side. Why waste it on something that the camera is very, very, very rarely going to see? Why don't it's much better to put that money into something that is actually going to add value to the show? So we argued with this, uh, we suggested the Smithsonian that they should preserve that and 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 use it to tell the story of the Enterprise. This is how they made television back then. This is how they, these visual effects were done, and it's. I think it's a. Um, I think it's a very interesting part of the ship. I think uh, it's really interesting because seeing the way that things have progressed is really important, kind of knowing where we've come from and how far we've come. And, you know, just the fact that 
it really wasn't possible to, to be able to shoot the Enterprise from both sides. Uh, I think that's a neat history lesson. And, and to me, uh, um, something that's important to be able to see it, you know, because if you cover that up, you know, it's almost like covering up a part of history. Well, that's how we felt. Unfortunately, uh, most people in the Enterprise Committee felt that way, and, and the folks at the Smithsonian uh, were thrilled the way it turned out. Um, if you ever get a chance to go to the Air and Space Museum and see the model, it's stunning. Actually, I was there a few weeks ago, and I looked at the model, spent some time, and there was a guy standing there just staring at it for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And, th- and then I moved on to other parts of the museum and came back about a half hour later, and that guy was still standing in the same place, just staring at the model. <laughs> well, that, that would be me, except that I would also be distracted by uh, by the Spirit of St. Louis and uh, Friendship 7 and, and and all those amazing other, other aircraft and spacecraft. Yeah. One of the things I was kind of wondering, you know, uh, you talked about, you know, how Rod took you guys to the unmarked location in a warehouse district and handed you the non-disclosure. Why do you think that it took them so long to take a look at this footage and, and maybe try and do something with it? It was a very complicated uh, 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 issue. First of all, no one really knew exactly what was in there. They, they knew in generalities what was in there, but how many deleted scenes were there? There, there were a fair number of deleted scenes that were just astonishing. But you know, there were there was a finite number. There was uh, so how do you present it? What do you want to do with it? What do you, uh, and before you can even ask those questions, you have to know what you have. So before anything could begin, Denise and I had to go through that process of, of, of cataloging and that, that took quite a bit. And even, and before we could do that, CBS very painstakingly, they, they, they transferred the film. They, uh, the film was separate from the sound. So they had to marry the, 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 uh, the sound to the film because in, in many cases, the, the film had sound. And so all of these were enormously time consuming. And it, uh, and we were so impressed. We 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 absolutely thought that maybe the studio would would just say, well, this is this is taking too long. We do uh, we, we don't want to do this. But at the end of the day, they said, you know, this is something very special. We want to do something very special for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, and uh, and this was it. We were so impressed, and we have been so impressed with uh, CBS uh, and uh, their treatment of Star Trek. This was an enormously complex, time-consuming process. I mean, they had to hire someone who was old school that could marry the sound and the film and use a moviola and sync it up and and then uh, transfer it to to video to DVD for us to look at. And uh, Phil Bishop at um, C- CBS. Uh, was very uh, supportive and kept saying, no, let's keep going, let's go forward, because this was years and years of uh, transfers and conversation. And then when we finally finished it, we had this big binder, you know, with spreadsheet and everything. And it was like, okay, now what do we do with this stuff? So the fact that it even got made is quite frankly a miracle. Well, it really is a pretty special gift to, you know, fans who are 
uber fans of Star Trek. And I know, speaking for myself, you know, you hear kind of stories of all these little missing scenes. For example, uh, Carolyn Palamas uh, being pregnant at the end of Who Mourns for Adonis. And the thrill of getting to see just even a little, a little tiny bit of that scene, I think there's kind of a secondary reaction shot. Uh, how thrilling was it to actually discover that something from that scene in particular had been filmed? I, I like to me, I was open mouthed staring at the screen like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> that was actually one of the because, yes, we know we, there were several things that we really wanted to find. And of course, we didn't know what we'd find. And when we found the little bit of confirmation that that scene was filmed, it's, it's a it's a single on Nimoy, on Spock. The script supervisor is reading McCoy's lines, and that's what we have. However, when we went up and interviewed Leslie Parrish, who played uh, Carolyn Palamas, she confirmed that indeed that scene was filmed in its entirety. So we did have confirmation. This is after we had found the footage, but we did have confirmation from Le Leslie Parrish, and that's on the um, that's on the Blu-ray. Uh, her saying absolutely it was it was filmed. Um, so yeah, the, there were you know, the Peter Kirk scene uh, was another one that we hoped we would find, but again, we had no idea what was, and either did they. You open a film can, and there's a couple of spools. Of, of film. Some are smaller than others, and you have no idea what they are. They're not marked. Yeah, the uh, the labels were largely wrong. It's as if uh, it's as if someone grabbed all this film and just kind of threw it up in the air. So even when we're looking at the, at the transferred film, you might see a shot from City and Age or Forever, and then a shot from the third season, and then and then a, and then a shot from uh, from the second season, and it would. It just made no sense. So that's why we uh, that made it much more important to uh, to try to catalog this stuff because we knew that if we ever wanted to find that shot of uh, that reaction shot of Leonard Nimoy from Who Mourns, uh, we were going to need a, a, a database to track it down. You were suspicious that there was this type of lost footage somewhere because of the James Blish novels, right? There's there's a connection to that because some of these this footage you found was actually in the novelizations of these episodes. Yes, but were they filmed? I mean, you, the, a lot of the James Blish uh, novelizations are from first draft scripts or early draft scripts. And we know from working production that you get, you get a first draft script and you read it and then scenes or dialogue are taken out, usually for time. Sometimes it just flows better. And so you wonder if it was ever filmed. It may be in the script, but was it filmed? And we didn't know. Uh, I can think of scenes that I've read in the James Blish books that we never came upon. We don't know if it was filmed, but there were some that we hoped that we would find again, like the, the Peter Kirk. And then there's scenes from um, uh, the end of uh, or the beginning, actually, and then the end of Return to Tomorrow of after Sargon and Salesa go off into oblivion. There's there's more dialogue. Now, it rightfully was taken out. It, it, the editors, the director, producers made the right decision ending the episode the way they ended it. But there's all this dialogue. Um, 
and and we present that in and we present that in in on the Blu-ray. And I was just going to say we saw that with the Cobramite maneuver with Sulu too. There was added dialogue or scene of of Sulu talking about movies. Exactly. Yeah. That was that was really interesting stuff. And in, in retrospect, you look at it and you go, "Yeah, okay, I think the episode is better without it." But as a as a fan of the show, as someone who's interested in how television is made, uh, it was fascinating. One of the things though is, uh, and I both of us read the uh, the James uh, Bliss novelizations as we were gr- growing up. And so there, there were, there was a moment I remember when we were looking at some footage from Devil in the Dark, and I'm, and I'm looking at, it, I'm going, okay, yeah, I remember that scene. And Denise is going, no, that's, that's new. And I had, I had, I was remembering the this, the scene in the James Bush novelization, and for some reason, uh, thinking, well, I, I must have seen it, but in fact, all I was doing was remembering having read the dialogue. And, and Denise was the one who said, no, no one's ever seen this scene. For people who haven't gotten a chance to check this out yet, give them an opportunity to kind of go behind the scenes of, of what it is if they, they decide to pick up, which they, they should, the Roddenberry Vault. What is the layout? What are, what are they getting it when they pop these discs in? The Roddenberry Vault is a collection of 12 episodes of the original series. And we, Denise and I selected the 12 episodes for their relationship. First of all, we wanted really good episodes, and, and we have some very fine episodes. But we wanted uh, them to be episodes with which we could add value and insight by, uh, by seeing footage from, uh, from the vault. So we, we present the 12 episodes, uh, both in, uh, all in beautifully remastered high definition that CBS did a few years ago. Uh, and they're presented in, with both of the original 1960s visual effects, as well as the more recent uh, uh, CG versions. These episodes all have, uh, uh, most of the episodes have isolated music tracks. If you, if you haven't just listened to the music of the original series, it is stunningly beautiful. And three of the episodes uh, uh, come with all, all new commentary tracks. But the thing that we're, uh, we're, we put most of our energy into is uh, there's a series of six all new documentaries. In which we um, interweave the footage and the interviews that we did into talking about the various episodes and also talking about there's one documentary that talks about the process of how this was made. There's another documentary that talks about uh, the visual effects of Star Trek and a lot of the the shots that nobody has seen before. So I think what people, I think we hope, and this is what we strived for, is that this Blu-ray has something for every Star Trek fan. If you just have a fleeting familiarity with the the series, then the the documentaries are going to help you. It's going to give you context. Um, we also wanted to put the episodes on the discs because the full episodes, if you hadn't seen the episodes in a while, this would also give you context, and they're beautiful. The, the HD versions are gorgeous. Um, if you're a fan like we all are, that can hear a missing line of dialogue and know exactly what episode it's from and know that we didn't ever hear that. You have that too. You get that too. Um, Michael and I uh, 
there was no time. We were almost done. Oh my gosh, this 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 took this entire year. This was a really intense project. And um, on the third disc, we have something called swept up um, snippets from the cutting room floor, and that. We, we have chirons to give it context. We, we subtitled. subtitled to give it context, but it's just a series of clips, one after another, not a documentary. It's a series of clips. Just snippets. That, snippets. Snippets that, uh, uh, that we liked a lot that didn't make it into any of the, into the other pieces. Right. And um, so we hope that there's something for everyone, but if you are a Star Trek fan, uh, I mean, if you love the original series, series, this is a must-have. I mean, we. This is amazing stuff. This is this this is lost footage that no one has seen from 50 years ago. I mean, it, Michael and I continue to pinch each other, even though we've been involved in this for many many years. But what a miracle! What a what an amazing thing! And and it killed us not to be able to talk about it because we couldn't and there was just a handful of people that fortunately roger is a big star trek fan and we would just geek out we would go oh my god did you see this well you were so busy doing it but how did you also do it with the encyclopedia because you were writing that at the same time weren't you they overlapped and then michael was working on a feature film too michael worked on sully so this oh my all gosh. happened to, yeah i mean <laughs> Uh, we're extremely fortunate and then we work really well together. I mean, we've worked, we worked on Star Trek together and we work really, really well together. And so when one person is consumed, when Michael is consumed on, on Sully on the feature film, I picked up the reins and continued with, with the Roddenberry vault. So it's, it was challenging. The, the last couple of years have been very challenging, but you know what? We love Star Trek. Well, it definitely shows. And I mean, I think the work really speaks for itself and has really paid off. I uh, I was home over the holidays, so I, I popped in the first disc and watched it with my mom. And she's someone who watched the original series as it aired back in the 60s. And to see her reactions when, when there were scenes that she had never seen, and she knows those episodes backwards and forwards, uh, that was really cool to to experience that with someone who saw it when it first aired. And uh, man, like the look in her eyes and her jaw on the floor that was that was so cool to see. Well, we uh, and you know we we loved the original series as well, so we had that. But uh, one of the really fun things, now that you mention it, was uh, uh, when we did the interviews, we would sometimes show the interviewee some of the material we'd be talking about. So Denise got together a little reel of uh, of material from uh, the Trouble with Tribbles to show to David Gerald before we we interviewed him, and you know David he was there and of course he's uh, he, he knows the show show intimately, so uh, to show him stuff that he had might have seen once back in the day, or uh, and certainly might have forgotten by now. Uh, was was a lot of fun. There was there was one shot in um, uh, with Stanley Adams's uh, Cyrano Jones. He delivers essentially the same lines, but even was fascinated by it because he had just a slightly different delivery that just changed the tone of the character. 
and uh, it, it was he, he was fascinated by it, and therefore we were fascinated by it. That's the the one where he's kind of talking, kind of in a sinister way. Is that right? Just slightly, just a smidgen, and just enough to put a slightly different spin on the character. Well, one of the things about the uh, last feature on the set, the swept up, the snippets from the cutting room floor. We're seeing so many quick snippets from different episodes, but my favorite part was at the very end. I think it was the best way to end that that segment was Nichelle Nichols singing a complete version of Beyond Untiries from The Conscious of the King. And now, how that was was a part of that used in the episode, or is this a whole other take of that full song? What they did was they 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 shot what what you uh, what we presented there. In the episode, they really only used uh, her singing the first line or so, and then the, and the last line, and the rest of it uh, they cut away to showing uh, 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 a mis- mysterious person trying to kill uh, Lieutenant Riley. So even though they they used uh, three quarters of the song, uh, three of the four verses uh, in the episode, they actually used almost no footage of Michelle singing. To, to come across the, this footage that was in, in a form that basically had, uh, hadn't been seen was, uh, was a lot of fun. Michelle's a wonderful performer, uh, and, um, the, and the song is so iconic for Star Trek. So to, 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 get, to see, get to see it, was, uh, it was like cutting together a music video from, uh, uh, from Star Trek. And I also like, I mean, I could sit here all day and say, oh, and I like this and I like that, I like that. But one thing I wanted to point out was that extended uh, monologue from Shatner, uh, the Kirk monologue about, you know, risk is our business from Return to Tomorrow. We got an extended period of that on the early side of the monologue. Not only was uh, was that fun to listen to, but of course, it, that is that is so so iconic of not just of the uh, character of Kirk but of uh, uh, but of Star Trek as a whole and uh, it's interesting on in so many levels first of all you, you get to see Shatner trying it slightly differently you get to see uh, the different reactions and ultimately when you look at the, at the final thing you go I love the additional footage but they made absolutely the right choice how they cut it together. The uh, just staying on on Shatner that entire time is so powerful. He's such a wonderful performer, and um, and and if you recall the way we cut the documentary, uh, to hear Shatner talking about about that process, it's uh, I, I found it very illuminating. Well, another another aspect of these discs is the commentary tracks, and uh, these I think are really excellent because actually just today, uh, just before we logged on, I listened to the the only one I hadn't listened to yet, which was the uh, DC Fontana on this side of paradise, and man, some of the insights that these original writers brought to those commentaries was really exciting. And I know you've talked a little bit about kind of showing them uh, highlight reels and that sort of thing. Is there kind of like what what are some of the some of the really interesting reactions you got from uh, some of the people that were there with regards to what was never what's never been seen in these episodes? Well, I can think of one example. Um, we 
one of the episodes that we chose was uh, Metamorphosis, which happens to be my favorite episode. And it was directed by uh, Ralph Staninsky, who directed, I think, seven original series episodes, including This This Side of Paradise. And we really wanted to interview him and Eleanor Donahue, Glenn Corbett, who uh, played uh, Zephyr Cochran, unfortunately passed many years ago. Um, and uh, we got in contact with um, with Ralph Staninsky, who, who lives up in north of us. And um, he really was hesitant to do the, the interview, uh, but he finally acquiesced, and I'm skipping over a lot of hurdles. Um, and we flew up and we interviewed him and we showed him some of the footage. And there is a very brief moment where a young man in This Side of Paradise comes, has his script open and he comes into frame. And we suspected it was Ralph Sininsky, but we didn't know. So I made a copy of that and I took it up and I said, you know, sir, is this you? And he said, yes, it is. And in the documentary, we have that snippet and we put a, <laughs> a red arrow and we said, you know, director Ralph Sininsky or something like that. Um, oh, I don't know, just, you know, things, you've got to realize these actors, it was a, it was a job, it was a day job. I mean, it was, and it was almost 50 years ago. So we would show, for example, in, in Who Mourns for Adonais, uh, Apollo, um, Michael Forrest, we put together um, a, a clip reel kind of to, to also, you know, kind of jar his memory. But we have these wonderful shots of the last of, of the take where Apollo is, is, is calling out to his friends, you know, Hermes, Zeus, uh, Athena, you were right. Um, and it's on, of course, Blue screen. I mean, it's 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 him standing. He he steps up on apple boxes and he stands on a platform and he he does this very emotional speech. And we showed that to Michael Forrest and he had a story to go with that. And he basically said he did it in one take. There was no rehearsal. He just did it. Um, and they used it. Uh, and that's in the that's in the Roddenberry Vault. That story that he tells, and also the 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 footage of of that that raw footage of of no visual effect. I think that was one of the biggest surprises to me was was finding that out because that scene has always just had so much emotional impact. So yeah, to hear uh, watching this that that was one take, I that blew me away. That was really cool. Yeah, it blew us away too. One of the things that I was I, I was surprised. One of the people we interviewed for the uh, uh, for the vault was a, a visual effects cinematographer, Richard Edlund, who uh, he's he's famous for having shot the original Star Wars uh, title crawl and the, and the Star Destroyer uh, as one of the founding members of ILM. But back in the '60s, he worked for a visual effects company called the Joseph Westheimer Company, and he and he worked in the original Star Trek. And he was he was very kind. He's an incredibly busy man. He, came out to CBS and talked with us about his work in the original Star Trek. And he told us uh, that he was the guy who hand-lettered, he designed the original, the, the, the words Star Trek from the main title sequence. He designed that, uh, that typeface, which, was, uh, which has always been a mystery to me. I, I, I didn't know who did it. But we, uh, we were just showing him some, of the, some footage and goes, oh yeah, I designed that. 
And suddenly, oh, oh my wow. God, Richard Edlund designed this. Wow, that's so cool. I mean, like, and that's, you know, iconography that's that's lasted to today. I mean, they use those in the new Star Trek films. That's that's incredible. There are really just, there are so many uh, examples of how we were just blown away and so many delightful things that happened. It's impossible to remember them all. And of course, we don't have enough time to go through them all. But it was an amazing, amazing project. It, it really it was a passion project. And we feel it kind of put the icing on the cake of the 50th anniversary. Um, you know, we, we are so indebted and grateful to CBS and Roddenberry Entertainment that allowed us and Roger to craft this and share it with Star Trek fans, we we kind of felt like this was a was the, this was a gift, a 50th anniversary to all Star Trek fans, and we're 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 just delighted that people are liking it. It is. It really is a gift. It really is a gift. I mean, I I, I it's like it's it is that it's that cherry on the cake for the 50th anniversary, in my opinion. Yes, Ken Ross, who is the uh, uh, vice president of CBS Home Entertainment very much wanted to do this as the 50th anniversary uh, uh, project. And so, of course, he wanted, to, he wanted it to come out in the year uh, uh, 2016 as part of the 50th. But yet this was a very, very complicated project. So um, we kept saying, we want to do it. And Ken said, well, I want you to, I want you to do it right. So uh, marketing actually wanted the, uh, the project to come out a little bit earlier. And Ken, Ken kept saying, no, I, I, I want these guys to, uh, to to get it right. So he pushed the re release actually quite far into, into December just to buy us time to do a little extra tweaking to, uh, to, to try to make it fun. And uh, th those, ac those extra few weeks really helped us. And it, that's extraordinary behavior. I mean, you just don't hear that from from a major studio from a major, major studio executive. Yeah, we want to give these guys as much time as we can so they can get it as right as they can. I mean, that's extraordinary. Right, because they want it out now. They want the revenue to start coming in. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, marketing and they've got all these plans and so forth and so on. And, you know, here's Roger and Mike and I just banging our heads against the wall and, and working insane hours and seven days a week for the entire year. And, um, and, it was a photo finish, as they say, um, <laughs> getting it in on the date that we promised it, and we delivered delivered it on that date. Damn it, um, <laughs> because we felt that we we really need to, needed to honor um, everyone's trust in us to get the job done, and it was out when it was supposed to come out. Well, we we really appreciate all the work you and the others and CBS and every, all the support you got to get this done. And I mean, now you can take a breather, you can relax, you can enjoy the new year, but I don't know if you can relax. What do you have anything else coming up that you're working on? We are working on stuff, but it's not Star Trek. Stuff, stuff that hasn't been, an, that hasn't been announced yet. In fact, you hear the mouse clicking right now. I'm, I'm actually designing a graphic for, uh, for, for a project that hasn't been announced yet. So we are working. We are blessed with work. We always, um, we, we have been blessed with work. We've never stopped working. Um, but we're not working on Star Trek, and that's the first. Uh, we've worked on Star Trek, I want to say, forever. But 
we're not working on Star Trek now and we don't know what the future is going to bring. This is going to be a very interesting year. We hope something will materialize, but you never know. Yeah, well, I'm sure you'll be back to Star Trek doing something at some point, somewhere down the road. And uh, <laughs> we really look forward to that. We have, we have no doubt. We just don't <laughs> know what that's going to be. Well, if anybody wants to follow you online or just find you online, where, where would that be? Uh, we, have a, uh, we have an official joint Facebook page, which is uh, Michael and Denise Okuda. Um, please follow us there. We have personal Facebook pages, but uh, Facebook has limits on the number of people that uh, you, can, you can be friends with. So that's why we established our, our official uh, public page so, so that uh, anyone can just join that. And, we, uh, and it, doesn't require, it doesn't have to uh, go through the friending process. And also, uh, uh, we're both on Twitter. I'm, uh, Denise doesn't tweet very often, but I'm so on it. Go, go to Michael's because I don't very often. But uh, our, our, our public Facebook page, Michael and Denise Okuda, is, is really our, our primary presence uh, in social media. Well, thank you so much for both being here. I, I mean, I am so excited to continue to dive in to the Roddenberry Vault and just pick it all apart. And uh, I appreciate so much the work that both of you have put into Star Trek for so many years. And uh, I'm right there with Bruce. I'm... I've got to think that there's something Star Trek in the works for you somewhere there down the road. It would be a shame if there wasn't. You're here. <laughs> well, we have learned to A, never say never, and B, we have been surprised at the cool projects that have presented themselves that, of course, we had no idea even existed. I mean, the Roddenberry Vault's one of them. Uh, the encyclopedia, uh, you know, the last time we did an update was 99, and the publishing world has changed so so much that we never thought we would do another one. And so here you go, two, three years, three years ago, um, they broached the question. And so we did that. So you, you just, you never know, uh, you never know what's, what's going to come up. And, uh, you know, of course we love Star Trek. So if there's something that comes up and it's, it's cool, then we'll be there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. It's a definite thrill to be able to talk to uh, you know, a couple people who have had such a huge hand in, in shaping the Star Trek universe. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you for talking about the Roddenberry Vault. Uh, we, we've said it many times uh, before, but we just want to share that with as many as many fans and we friends do. as possible. We really, really do. We just want, I mean, we just want to share this really cool stuff with other people that love Star Trek as much as we do. Absolutely. So anyone out there who hasn't grabbed your copy yet, you should definitely log on, go to your store, whatever you need to do to get your hands on this, because it is definitely worth it. Well, I mean, that was just awesome. Once again, the second time that Michael and Denise Akuda have joined us here on Literary Tracks, and it was just as much fun this time as it was last time. Oh, yeah. I mean, those two are a class act. And uh, like I said, you know, they've, it's, it's great to be able to talk to people who actually had a hand in shaping this universe that we know and love so well. And uh, the Roddenberry Vault, I mean, man, that's a really cool piece of uh, Trek memorabilia for sure. Yeah, I have to admit, I've watched the documentaries twice now. Because mm. I just have, I just wanted to see the footage again and see if I missed anything or forgot anything from watching it before. And you know, they talked several times about they brought up Peter Kirk, um, 
from Operation Annihilate. And what's interesting is that that lost footage, the concept of that was actually in the autobiography of James T. Kirk by David Goodman. So mm-hmm. you know, it's really, we're seeing a lot of connections in the lost footage with the books. And so that just shows you, you need to be reading the books because you're going to get stuff that's not on screen, but maybe should have been. Do you think we'll get a scene of uh, Sulu in a future book talking about old Kung Fu movies he used to watch? That was, that was, anyway, really cool stuff you, on those do you, do you think he'll sing too? Everybody was Kung Fu fighting. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Oh dear. Um, you know, I have to say uh, to me, I think that this is really the creme de la creme of the 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I was a little bit disappointed, I think, in the celebration of the 50th. You know, I, do you remember the 25th anniversary, guys? I mean, they had things on, like, TV and oh, yeah. all sorts of incredible stuff. There was a film. I mean, there was so much going on. And I have to say, I, this redeems the 50th anniversary for me. In fact, I, I just wish that, in some ways, what they put together was something that CBS did as a special. You know, like even if they just cobbled together an hour special so that, you know, you, you could even promote the, the the Blu-ray, get more on, you know. I, I just, I feel like this would have been the perfect thing to do. Just something out there to acknowledge Star Trek's 50. Because I, I, I just felt like it was more of a whimper than like the bang that I expected for the 50th. And uh, I think this is, this is what makes the 50th totally uh, just, it's everything I I would want for Star Trek's 50th anniversary. So I'm glad that we got it. Um, I just wish it had been more of a celebration because I didn't feel like it was so much a celebration for fan. I don't know. I mean, if, if you asked non fans like that, it was the, what anniversary was it? Would they know? I don't know. I mean, the 25th anniversary, I, Star Trek was really at its height of popularity at the time with Next Generation, and it was the last movie of the original series crew. And this one, yeah, didn't seem as big as the 25th, but I tried to make the 50th big for myself. So, you know, I tried to do things to make it feel like a special year. And you're right. This was the thing that ended the year for me as mm-hmm. this is the ultimate of the 50th because here we're going back and seeing historical footage that we've never seen before and it was just a great way to end the year. Yeah. It's funny to me the the two biggest things in the 50th anniversary for me were the Roddenberry Vault and uh, the Star Trek Encyclopedia and both of them uh, things that the Akutas had a hand in. So it, it's kind of interesting. It's the old guard that's really you know, really continuing the the tradition of, of Trek forward. So, um, you know, we did get Star Trek Beyond, you know, that was that was good. But yeah, it just it it didn't feel like a jubilee year like it should. Yeah. But for me, it was a great year because I also went to Paramount Pictures for the fan event for Star Trek Beyond. I loved Star Trek Beyond movie. I joined this show. So now I'm talking Trek on a regular basis. <laughs> I I couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah, look at him bragging about his big year. Ooh, like, I went no, that's to what I'm saying. Out. You make it what you want. You know, you got to celebrate yourself. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. I was actually so jealous that you got a chance to do that because oh. that was such a cool event. Yeah, I flew from Atlanta yeah. to LA for that. And people were like, you actually flew here for this? I'm like, yeah, why not? That's dedication. <laughs> I'd have flown there from Alberta. Come on. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we just love talking Star Trek. And I know everybody listening 
loves to talk and listen to about Star Trek. So, you know, keep up with us online. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And uh, you can also go into Facebook and find us in the Babel Conference. It's our listeners-only discussion group. You just go into the search field and type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L. Or you can go to trek.fm and hit the discussion on the menu bar, and that will take you to the group. You can also find us on Twitter at trek.fm. You can leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You can even send us an email. Just go to trek.fm slash contact and just choose the show Literary Treks, and that email will come straight to us. And Dan, where else can people find Literary Treks online? Well, I'm glad you asked, Bruce. Uh, if you go to goodreads.com, you'll find our special listeners-only group for Literary Treks. Just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads. Uh, ask to join, and one of us will let you right in. Now there we've got bookshelves with uh, all of the books that we've read in previous episodes, as well as those that are coming up for upcoming episodes, so you're able to follow along with us and keep up to date with what we'll be talking about on the show. And of course, there are always all kinds of discussions going on on all sorts of message boards about all the books and comics in Star Trek. And if you want to start a discussion about a book that we're not talking about, just start it. People will join in. Yes, we would definitely join in on the discussion and if you like what you hear on literary treks please go to itunes leave us a review five stars would be great but you know do what you want to do just tell us what you like and and uh, post your review there and it helps people to find literary treks out there among all the different podcasts and we'd like to thank ken tripp brandon shea matala and norman lau for their support of the trek fm network and being associate producers for literary treks as well and you can help support Trek FM by going to patreon.com. You can be a patron of the network. Just go to patreon.com slash Trek FM. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. And you can go in there and find our, the current goals and the different milestones of contribution levels. And we'll give you great perks based on that. So, and I also want to thank Matthew Rushing for joining us once again here in the family of Literary Treks. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I don't... What do I do with my hands? I don't... I don't know where they... I, I don't know. I'm so... 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 Scared. <laughs> I'm just well, kidding. It's, it's awesome. okay. We've got, being here. We've got you. We've got you. Jazz hands. It's like I never left. <laughs> oh. Well, let's make so it... so good to have you back. Let's, let's make it feel like you've never left. I want you to close us out with the last line. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. <laughs>